I'll be honest, I wish I could take all of us and put us in Kenya right now because I promise you this our experience that we call church would be different for you if we were in Kenya today than it would be uh, here in the States. But we're going to try as best we can to, to help you see how we saw Jesus uh, over there in Kenya. And I will say, I had people ask me after the first service, we actually did take pictures of those animals. We did a safari on our last day there and it was unbelievable. So a lot of great ministry. If you go on Africa, we'll show you some big animals really up close and in person. That will be awesome too. We're going to be in John chapter 14 today. If you have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, our ushers are going to come down the aisle. They've got some that you can use. They've got some that you can have. We love for people to have their Bible, to open it, to read it here. So fire it up on your phone or tablet or open yours or grab one from our ushers. And we continue our series today on who Jesus is. We're, we're asking the question, would the real Jesus please stand up? And for six weeks, we've dug into the book of John and we've seen who Jesus says that he is. And we've just had unbelievable life impact through this series. We've had 26 people through this series who've made spiritual decisions and said, if that's who Jesus is, I want to follow him. I met somebody last night or uh, last week um, in her early 60s who said, Christian, my husband and I have gone to church like every Sunday for our lives, and I never knew Jesus like you presented Jesus. That was just unbelievable. I'd never heard anything like that. And a lot of us know a little bit about Jesus, but when it comes to who Jesus says he is, we're not fully informed. And I said at the beginning of this series, we can really only follow Jesus to the degree that we know Jesus. So it's important for us to know who Jesus is, and it's important for us to ask Jesus the question, who do you say that you are? Because the information that comes out of that question is just unbelievable. And we've looked in this series at Jesus as the bread of life, at Jesus as the light of the world, at Jesus as the gate, at Jesus as the good shepherd. Last week, we looked at Jesus as the resurrection and the life. And in John chapter 14, we hear Jesus make yet another statement, statement number six, of who he is in the New Testament. We're in John 14, we'll read through verses, we'll read verses one through 14, and here's how Jesus' words begin. John 14, one says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Now we could stop right there, and half of you could go home, because that's all you needed to hear this morning at church. Just don't let your hearts be troubled. Like the message God wanted you to hear this morning was real simple. You should underline those words. Jesus' message to you today is it's going to be okay. And I don't even know what you're going through today. But Jesus' message to many of you today is just, it's going to be okay. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Now, he continues, but I want to make sure we don't miss that part of that verse. Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you? that I'm going to, there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And then he says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Verse five, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who's doing his work. 
Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing. And they'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. We've asked each time we've read a text where Jesus says he is something. What can we learn that can radically radically shape and transform our life, our mindset, our heart? And we ask the same thing today of John 14. What can we learn from John chapter 14 that has the ability to radically shape who we are and how we follow Jesus? Well, Jesus says today that he is the way, the truth, and the life. But let me give you some context for this statement because when Jesus makes this statement is, is nearly as important as what Jesus says. Jesus and his disciples had just finished the Last Supper when we find ourselves coming into John chapter 14. He told him he was going to die. They had just finished the last supper. He had washed the disciples' feet. More than that, Jesus had just announced his betrayer and Judas had just left the room. So there's some major tension in the room. Jesus and this group of 13 men who'd hung out every day for probably three years We're in this room and Jesus said, tonight I'm going to be betrayed and I'm going to be arrested and I'm going to be beaten and I'm going to be killed, but everything's going to be okay. Oh, by the way, one of like one of you is actually going to cause it all. And they were all like, what? Not me, not me, not me, not me. And Judas was like me. And Jesus was like, yeah, it's you. And he got up and left. You can imagine the shock that the room is in. I mean, like this is a tension filled room after Judas leaves. Jesus then announced to his disciples that he's leaving as well. Judas is gone, I'm gonna go, and, and I'm, I'm gonna go to the Father, but then I'm gonna come back. So now all of a sudden, everything in these men's lives, there's 11 men here whose lives have just been radically changed. One of their best friends has just fallen off the wagon spiritually. Now their spiritual leader is, is checking out and, and they, don't, they don't know what's going on. This would be like your pastor and your small group leader coming tonight to small group and the small group leader saying, I've, I've decided to worship Satan and the pastor saying, I'm leaving too, y'all. Good luck next Sunday at church. You're, like your small group would sit around and say, what are we going to do? That's what the disciples were doing. They were sitting around saying, what, what are we going to do? And their hearts were troubled by this upcoming spiritual reality. Man, Judas is gone. Jesus is gone. What, what are we going to do? So they begin to ask Jesus a question about what they're going to do. And here's the key to the whole story. Jesus responds and said, everything's going to be okay because you know me. But at this point in the disciples' lives, this is where it gets, this is where it gets heavy this morning. The disciples were looking for Jesus plus something else to completely calm their hearts spiritually. They find themselves after three years with Jesus where many of us find ourselves today. You and I, if we have Jesus and something else in our life, we have total peace. But if we have Jesus and our finances aren't in order, we're troubled. Jesus isn't enough. If we have Jesus and our health is somewhat sketchy, we're troubled. We have Jesus, but we need Jesus and something else. If we have Jesus, but our marriage is crumbling, or we have Jesus, but our kids aren't following Jesus, or we have Jesus, but our, our bank account is really, really low. The disciples at this point, Jesus said, you've got me, you're going to be okay. But Philip said in verse 8, look at verse 8. Philip says, show us the Father, then that will be enough for us. Like, I know we have you, but we need you and this thing, and then everything will be cool. And there's a lot of people in this room today who have never been, a play, never been at a place where their heart has truly been at peace, 
even though you've been pursuing Jesus because you've been pursuing Jesus and something and not being able to have both of those things at all times has led to trouble in your heart. And today's message, if it's about anything, is about this question, is Jesus enough for you? Is Jesus enough for you? Like if you had Jesus and nothing else, would that be enough for you? Because we saw a group of people in Kenya who had very little compared to what we had, but they had Jesus and it seemed to be enough and we were all deeply convicted that Jesus could give them so much hope while we needed Jesus plus other things to fill us with joy. And we go back to John 14 and Jesus says, all you need is me. He answered Thomas, who said, how, how, we don't know how to get to the Father and we don't know how to be with you and we don't know how to live where our hearts aren't troubled. We don't know how all that happens. And Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we see three statements today Jesus made. One, Jesus said, I'm the way. Jesus is the way. You say, the way to what? It's a good question. And actually, this statement is a direct answer to a direct question that was asked because of a very direct problem. I mean, we don't have to wonder about the semantics of what Jesus is saying. He's answering a question. The problem was that Jesus was leaving to go to his heavenly father. But he told him he would take his disciples to be with him one day, just not this day. And this was troubling to his disciples. Jesus said, hey, I got to go for a little bit. And one day I'm going to come back and we're going to be together again. But in the meantime, you'll be okay. Because you know me and you know the Father, so you don't need to be worried. And Thomas said, time out, I, like I am worried. I don't know where you're going. I don't know how to get there. I don't know how to, how to have peace in my heart. So there's, there's this question that Thomas asked. How do we get to the Heavenly Father? How do we connect with the Heavenly Father? How do we keep our hearts from worrying? Jesus said, don't worry, I'm doing all this stuff, and you all know that. And Thomas says, hang on, no, we don't. You have to help us a little more. And Jesus said, I am the way. His statement, if we would fully form it, Jesus is saying, I am the way to feel close to God. I am the way to have all that you need not to be troubled in your heart. And our, our, our spiritual answer is many times when someone needs something, we say, oh, Jesus is the way. But our spiritual reality many times is that being close to Jesus plus having what? And I don't know what your what is. But what I have found is many times the spiritual reality of being close to Jesus plus something else gives us peace and keeps us from being troubled in our heart. The question is, what is your what? What is your and one to Jesus? Jesus plus what puts you in a really good place. Jesus plus good health. Jesus plus good wealth, a good financial place in your life. Jesus plus a good marriage makes you feel really good about everything. Jesus plus a great job with good job security makes you feel good about life. Jesus plus an identity where people like you and respect you and you have friends makes you feel good about yourself. Jesus plus your retirement account fully stocked and the next phase of your life figured out. Jesus plus the security of your life and the control of your life and your kids. Jesus plus having a good reputation with people that you work with and people who live around you and people you go to church with. Jesus and having kids that are healthy, or having kids that are smart, or having kids that make the very best sports teams. Jesus and those things, man, make me feel really good about life. But what about Jesus plus nothing else? 
The question is, is Jesus enough for you? And here's the fact today. If you can identify your what, you can identify a spiritual idol in your life. And then you're going to have to deal with that. If you can identify your plus one, Jesus plus what gives you great comfort. You can identify an idol that sits on the shelf next to Jesus. You say, well, I'm having a hard time figuring mine out. What would you have to take away to take away all of your peace? If you lost your job, would you lose all your peace? If you lost your marriage, would you lose all your peace? If, you, if your health went downhill, if you were diagnosed with cancer this week, would you have no peace in your life? See, all you got to do is figure out what steals your peace, and then that is something that holds your peace alongside Jesus. And Jesus said, you don't want to do that because that thing is going to go wrong in your life at some point. So I, I have to be the way. You know, when we were in Kenya, we saw people who, because they had nothing, they put everything in Jesus, and it seemed to work out for them okay. It seemed to work the way Jesus said in John 14. And I wish I could bring back pictures and videos, and I wish every one of the people on our trip could share and help you understand how this works. And they can't, or we'd be here for hours. But I've asked some of the people who went on our trip to kind of share their experiences because every morning we would do a team devotion and one of our people would speak. And it was funny that the things they talked about in Kenya were the things Jesus was saying. Comments were made that, I mean, it looks like Jesus plus nothing equals everything for these people. So I want to invite Harry Funk. Harry's one of the men on our finance team. Harry has really helped us start the church. He's in our leadership realm. He's been on almost every mission trip that I have taken. Um, Harry, I'm going to move you over here just so you're in the light a little bit uh, more. Here you go. Um, and I asked him to just kind of share his perspective of Kenya um, and what he saw to illustrate this point that Jesus is enough. Thank you, Pastor. It, um, these trips are always amazing for me. People, the first thing they say to me when I come back, how was the trip? And of course, this time it was all about the safari. It wasn't about the missions work. And I give him a 30 second rundown on the safari and how close we were to the animals. But more importantly, what we were there for, and that was to help the, uh, the people in Africa, the people that have God in their life. I, I thank God every day. He gave me enough money to be able to afford, and like Christians said, I've been on every trip that, um, since the church has started, and it's been an amazing experience. It's been a, a real growing experience for me. I was saved seven years ago, but it wasn't until two years ago that I finally started living what God had in store for me, the plan he had for me. Um, and it was interesting, two of the people that went on the trip um, people go, I can't afford to go on these trips. You can if you want. Um, one woman, she had two jobs and she was selling stuff at a garage sale. The other woman was threatened with her job for going uh, on this trip. And they were committed to go and they went and I think they grew from this whole experience. But every one of these trips brings more clarification to my life. It, um, I had several realizations. The first is how empty my life had been uh, before I really started living for the word for God um, because I kept all the stuff I owned between me and what God had in store for me and it was empty it wasn't really that much fun it was just filling more and more a bigger house a bigger car bigger trips but um, <clears throat> for those who don't know me I, when I was growing up I grew up on the other side of the tracks and I always wanted to get on this side of the tracks. And I thought, oh, when I get there, the grass will be greener. Well, I got there, and the grass is greener because they have sprinkler systems. That's the only reason <laughs> the grass is greener. I mean, it's like, it's, it's not a happier life. I mean, it's, it's a better life, but it's not happier. But what it really helped me to understand with these um, kids visiting the orphanage, 
they don't have anything. They have God in their life. That's all they have in their life. They, um, the, the orphanage, they go to class in a metal building with dirt floors. They, the kitchen is a five-by-five five room with dirt floors and a fireplace in the corner, and they cook food on that. And um, these kids just reminded me how simple my life used to be and how much fun they have and just everyday living, and they live for the Word of God. I mean, they, they, they're, so, um, they're such godly kids. It was just, um, it really helped remind me of what that was all about. The, um, the I, I could think about so many different situations there, but these kids um, just reminded me about how busy my life gets and how I get out of the Word and I don't study the Word. And coming back from this trip, it's a nine-hour difference. So this whole week, I was getting up at 4.35, wide awake, just like, what am I going to do now? Well, I was reading the Bible for the last couple of days, which was really great because I was spending two hours in the Word versus my normal uh, couple minutes in the Word. And it it always reminds me, before um, these trips started, I used to put my Bible in a bookcase with glass. And we all seen the emergency sign saying, break in in the event of emergency. I never quite understood that because we have an emergency. I don't want to break my arm or cut my arm. But what it told me is um, God has so much grace. And if if our emergency is our death and we're standing at the gate and he acknowledges us, but he doesn't let us in because we weren't living his plan for us, um, that scares me. I have um, two daughters that... um, have asked me what I wanted for Christmas. And the first one was I needed a cooking light for my grill because I can't see. And I'm I'm either eating raw meat or overcooked meat. But the second one was this past week with the cold weather, my hands were freezing. So I finally went to look for the gloves. And of course, I can find one, not the other one. So I've asked for both of those. Um, What I can't wait for is to get to heaven, to find that glove, to find that sock I've lost. What I don't want to see is who I lost along the way, who I left behind because I was so focused on what was in it for me and not what was in it for God's plan for me. So that's really helped me think about um, this trip. Um, yesterday, um, I, I work at Hope Faith Ministries, and there's a dozen of us who go down on a regular basis. And it's really a great experience for us. But I walked in there and I just copped an attitude with these guys, these homeless people. Um, and I'm thinking, you have shelter, you have food, you have clothing. I'm thinking about the kids in Africa that have none of this stuff. And um, so I, I was just really negative. I was down on these, uh, the guys. And the one guy was walking around picking up clothes for him. Um, when we were finished, I'd only pray with him. I asked this guy to pray for me because I could just see he had God in his life. And he prayed for me. And so the next guy that came up, I remember his name is Richard. I have a brother named Richard. He could care less that I was helping him. He didn't want to be bothered with me. He was just like, give me in here. I want my stuff. And I went out of here. And at the end, I prayed for him. And what shocked me was he stopped, pulled the Bible out of his pocket, and read a verse out of Revelations. And at the moment, it, was, it, it hit me. I just can't remember what it is today because I was so shocked when he pulled it out of his pocket. But these... Even the people in the homeless shelters here have so much to give, and they're in the Word, and they're just in a different country, and it's called America, where we're blessed with so much. So if I listen to God clearly, He's telling me, you you need to help people, you need to go out and help spread the Word and work with people, and that's what I got out of this trip, and I continue to be blessed to be able to go on these. Thank you. Thanks, Harry. So I would ask the question, in what way has Jesus changed your life? 
In what way has Jesus changed your schedule? In what ways has Jesus changed your heart? In what way has Jesus changed your finances? Because Jesus said, I am, I am the way. And if you will connect to me, you won't need anything else. And we sat around our table one night and we talked. And we said, man, these kids have nothing. Um, yet in their eyes, it appears as if they believe they have everything. In America, we have everything. And it just seems so hopeless. And we kind of made the statement, you know, because... What, what proud Americans want to do is they want to bring everyone back with them and rescue them. We said, man, if we brought these people back to our lives, it would probably be a step down from where they are emotionally right now. Might have a nicer bed, might have cleaner food. I don't know if it'd be any better, but they would step into the busyness and the hopelessness of our lives. And I think they'd feel sorry for us. They would get to our life and say, man, these, these poor people, they have so much, but they're so empty. So Jesus said, I am the way. Jesus said, secondly, number two, I am the truth. So Thomas questioned Jesus. He asked Jesus, how can I know the way to be close to God? How can I keep my heart from being troubled? Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to the Father. I'm going to take you to the Father. And Thomas said, well, how, how can I know all those things? How can I keep my heart from being troubled? How can I be with the Father? How does that work? And Jesus' statement is saying the truth of my life, the truth of Jesus' life, the truth of Jesus' teaching will guide you and give you all that you need to be close to God and to keep your heart from being troubled spiritually. But if that statement is true, because I just said it, but not very many of you heard it. You heard it, but you weren't listening. If that statement is true, what's wrong with all of us? Because Jesus said, let me read it again. The truth of my life and my teaching will guide you and give you all you need to be close to God and keep your heart from being troubled. If we have everything we need to be close to God and to keep our heart from being troubled, yet we don't feel close to God and we're always troubled with things, Jesus said, that's got to be on you now. Because I'm giving you a prescription for how not to let this happen, but you've got to follow through now. Our spiritual reality, especially here in America, we're fully armed with the Word of God. Most of us have more copies of God's word in our house, then we know where they are. They're in every library in every town. Yet we can feel distant from God if we don't meditate upon and pursue his truth. So we have people in our church who don't feel close to God, yet the word of God sits closed in their house every day. We have people who get up worried, they go to bed worried, and they worry about everything in between, yet they've got the answer to their spiritual worry that sits in their home on their bookshelf, like Harry mentioned, maybe behind glass. And the fact is this, reading God's word and knowing God's word will keep your heart from being troubled. It'll allow you to feel close to God, but you've got to put forth an effort to do it. In Isaiah 26.3, I love this promise from Isaiah. It says, God will keep in perfect peace all who trust in him because their thoughts are fixed on him. You need to underline or circle or highlight those words, perfect peace. Have Have you felt that this week at all? Have you felt that this month at all? Have you felt this this year at all? Have you ever gone to bed one night yet this calendar year just perfectly at peace with everything going on in life? Because God says, that's how you'll live if you'll stay close to me. I celebrated a pretty big spiritual anniversary uh, this week on November 17th. November 17th, 2009, uh, I was at a spot in my life where I needed to hear from God. I was kind of dry spiritually. I was pretty desperate spiritually. I was suffering through kind of a time of depression And I kept asking God to help me. And I felt like God wanted me to kind of take a 40-day spiritual journey to to find him in a new way. 
Uh, and with an accountability partner that I was kind of mentoring at the time, I said, man, I, I feel like that God is calling me every day for 40 days to get into God's word, to not miss a day. And I feel like he wants to show me something as a part of this journey. Um, will you do it with me? And on November 17, 2009, we began that 40-day journey together. That 40 days was incredible as God began to just breathe new life into me. But we got to the end of that 40 days and the guy I was mentoring, his name's Chris Zerby. He's an, he's an usher at our church. He's actually sitting back there on the wall because he was in the first service. We got to the end of the year and he says, hey, I'm going to try to go uh, an entire calendar year without missing one day of reading my Bible. What do you think? And I thought, what I think is, you know, it's probably too long. That's probably too hard, but I'm mentoring you. If I say no, that makes you more spiritual than me. So I should probably say yes too. So why not? You know, let's, let's go for a whole year. And every week we met and held each other accountable. And daily we would text each other and talk about how we were doing. And over the course of 2010, I had so many spiritual needs met and I felt so close to God. I thought, why would I ever go a day in my life without connecting with the truth? Why would I ever go a day? So November 17th of this year, I celebrated five years since that 40-day commitment. And I emailed Chris on November 17th and I said, hey man, I um, just want you to know it's been five years since we started this journey together. And in five years, there's only been one day where I missed reading my Bible, July 5, 2014. I just, I woke up too early, stayed up too late, had too much going on in between, I forgot. But these five years have changed my life. Now, a lot of you guys hear that and you say, so what? You're a pastor. Like, that's your job. You get paid to read the Bible. Chris responded back to me and said, man, that's awesome. Thanks for the challenge. I've only missed four days this year, but I can do better. Chris isn't a preacher. Chris is a uh, He's a businessman. He's two young kids. He's married. Plays rec basketball. He's got a really busy life. But one that has chosen to be focused on the truth of God's word. Some of you feel really distant from God's word because you've not opened up the word of God and met with God in a while. And we got over to Kenya and saw the reaction that these people had to the word of God. And Todd Higgins, who's one of our elders, who's going to come out and share now, was sharing with our group. And kind of one of the things that stood out the most to Todd was the love and commitment that these people had for the word of God, not as something they wanted to know, but as something they needed to have to have hope in life. So Todd, share a little bit about that if you would. Absolutely. It's on. Just keep talking. Thanks, Pastor Christian. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to share. You know how much I love to speak in front of large crowds. So <laughs> thank you so much for this. This is real comfortable to me. Um, all kidding aside, what a fantastic trip we had in Kenya, and um, I don't have a lot of certainties in life, but I can tell you one of them is God is moving mightily in the hearts of those in Kenya. Um, the people that we interacted with have a reliance upon God's word. They have a, a true need for God's word, and they meditate upon it and believe in it, uh, which, which was humbling and encouraging to me. Um, the first, one of the first days that we were over there, we facilitated a pastor's conference, had about 200 pastors, mobile messengers, um, and community leaders that were present. And we got some time in the beginning of the morning to spend with the mobile messengers. Um, you guys, through your generous giving, uh, contribute to this. They were walking from village to village to spread the gospel, but um, through your giving, we were able to fund some motorcycles for them. So we've been supporting them over the years, and we got some time to meet with them and, and talk to them. We presented them NIV study Bibles, 
And I can't explain to you the joy on their face when they got these study Bibles. Um, They're used to traditional Bibles. And just knowing that there was study notes, that they could get closer to God, they could understand better what God had to say, and they could then take that out and reach additional people uh, who were lost in their villages and towns was just inspiring. So I, I spoke with one of the pastors later in the week, and he said, Todd, that Bible is incredible. I've stayed up reading that Bible throughout the week ever since our conference, and I've learned so much. And I just thought, wow, how humbling and how encouraging something like a study Bible is to these people. Uh, the second reality that encouraged me was during this conference, we recognized we had 17 extra study Bibles, and we decided to raffle these off. So we wrote 17 yeses on little slips of paper and the rest no's. And Pastor Ben announced that we were going to raffle off these Bibles, and I can't explain to you the buzz across the room uh, it was truly amazing that people were so excited to win one of these Bibles, not because it was, you know, winning something. What it meant for them was they could become closer to God, that they could understand more about God and what God had in store for their lives. And we watched in amazement, Pastor Christian, myself, uh, Tom Peterson, and Gary Hammock were all seated on the front row. And after lunch, they said, okay, it's time for the raffle. And these people literally ran and lined up in front of this bowl that had the yeses and the noes in it. They literally ran, and there was a huge line of people that were excited and ecstatic to win one of these Bibles, and it touched my heart. Um, I can tell you the people that drew the noes, the rejection from not winning a Bible was unbelievable. It it broke my heart. The people that drew the yeses were literally high-fiving and dancing and as they went down this line of other people that had won uh, Bibles. And so it was inspiring for me to see how much people truly cherished and honored the Word of God and wanted to, wanted to learn more. And then finally, uh, the last day, or the day after that, we went to Pastor Ben's orphanage in school. Pastor Christian broke us up into groups and said, hey, let's teach a small Bible study. And then... Uh, then we'll let the kids play. So we went, and and we got the privilege of speaking to 12 to 18-year-old children. And Pastor Christian did a a fantastic Bible study that really shared with them that Jesus loved them, and Jesus will always love them, and Jesus will always be there for them in their times of need. And um, we asked them to introduce themselves and give what they wanted to be when they grow up. And, and I can tell you, Kenyon's going to have a lot of doctors and lawyers and engineers and teachers and pilots, and I'm confident of that. These kids were amazing. Um, but I'll never forget, Christian asked them, does anybody out here have a, a verse memorized that they'd like to share? And literally every hand in this, in this mud-floored, tattered desk place, every hand went up and every kid started to share a verse they had memorized. They didn't need their Bibles. They shared what they had memorized, and it was inspiring to me. One of the girls that was probably 15 to 16 years old stood up and quoted Psalm 1, the entire chapter, and I was humbled and encouraged at their passion for the gospel and what it meant to them. They've been able to they don't have distractions. I was going to say they've, they've taken their distractions and put them aside. They don't have distractions. They don't have anything, but truly they have everything. Um, they focus on God. They're hopeful in God's truths. They welcome God in their lives, and that's all they need. 
And really, that's all we need. So I, I prayed for myself that I'd come back and have a deeper, deeper appreciation for the hope and faith that they have and somehow avoid the distractions in my life to get closer to God like they were. So thanks for allowing me to share. You know, there's, there's a major difference between knowing Scripture and needing Scripture. Do you have some verses memorized because at some point someone in your life challenged you to know them? Or do you have a few things that you know spiritually that you hang on to because if they're not true, you don't have anything? You have a verse memorized that by quoting that verse sometimes, it's the only way you can go to sleep because if that verse is true, you're going to be okay. But if that verse is not true and God's not going to come through in that way, then you don't know what's, you don't know what's going to happen. Have you ever given in the offering and the only reason you're given in the offering is because you believe a verse about blessing and sacrifice to be true and you're getting ready to give in the offering, but the only reason you give is because you, you believe what the Bible says about that and you really don't even have it, but you believe what it says. Have you ever forgiven someone who's deeply hurt you, not because you wanted to, but because there's a verse of scripture you know that says Jesus has forgiven you and you need to forgive others? When we went to Kenya, we listened to all these kids quote scripture and at first I was so impressed, but I realized they weren't doing it for an Awana badge. They weren't doing it for a sucker at the end of Sunday school. They were memorizing those verses because they needed that hope to survive. Like if they didn't believe those things about God and learn those things about God, they would have no hope. But learning the truth gave them all that they need. And we, we sometimes have so much truth, but if we don't have our what else we find ourselves in a state of flux and Jesus today wants you to see that idol and remove it from your life because he is the truth. And then finally, number three, Jesus said so clearly that he is the life. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And here's the simple spiritual equation that we saw in Kenyan that we're trying to figure out how to have in our hearts here. Jesus plus nothing gives us the hope we need for a life without troubled hearts. I believe that spiritually. I'm not attached to that emotionally yet. I wish I was. I'm trying to get there. But what we saw in the eyes and in the smiles of kids and of people in Kenya is that Jesus plus nothing gives us all the hope we need for a life without troubled hearts if we will lean into that. Yet even with all of Jesus, here's Philip asking on behalf of the disciples that Jesus might some, give them something additional spiritually as well. See, the disciples were more like us than the little orphans that we ministered to and the widows that we ministered to two weeks ago in Kenya. Philip said, yeah, 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 I understand all the Jesus stuff. Got that. Could you give us one more thing as well? And then that would be enough. And Jesus answered and said, Philip, you have me. What more do you need? And here's the fact we have to find out in our life. If we're not able to identify the spiritual idols in our lives, that we pursue, and that we partner with Jesus for peace, then we can't remove them. So if you wake up every day needing Jesus and something else, that something else has got to begin to fall behind your pursuit of Jesus, or you're going to pursue something that cannot give you the life that God wants for you to have. Trey Allen was one of the men who was with us over in Kenya, and one day he talked about what God had been showing him about life and how he needed to live his life differently when he came home, what Christian life looked like that was clarified for him. So he's going to come and share a little bit about 
what that looks like uh, because, man, it was powerful. And those of you who are moms and dads, I think you're going to be challenged here. Good morning, Journey. How's it? Oh, is it on? Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Um, you know, I thought the 14-hour plane ride home was going to be the last uncomfortable part of the trip. Well, th- this marks the most uncomfortable part of the trip. So, um, anyway, you know, I'll start with why I went on the trip. Um, you know, we we Ashley and I went to India, and in, when we were in India, you know, God, it's just amazing how He moves on these trips. And you know, I desired that so much um, from another mission trip. And, you know, I, sh- I know I shouldn't have to go on a mission trip for God to really move um, in-, in my heart. Um, and-, and one of the things that really stood out to me on this trip was, you know, just in- being intentional. And, um, we're, you know, we're intentional about serving. Uh, we go halfway around the world to be intentional about, you know, serving orphans, serving widows, um, serving these people. Um, as you can see from the pictures, you know, the pictures will tell you what we did over there. I'm just going to share with you what kind of happened in my heart, um, why, why I was over there. And, um, you know, these orphans have so much, um, they've got so much excitement. They've got so much joy. They don't have a lot of things. You know, I find myself, um, here at home, you know, always trying to, you know, get the next gadget, get the next thing, uh, striving just to get things a lot of times. And uh, Pastor Ben, Pastor Ben's been here on the stage. He's the, the pastor that leads the Shekinah Glory Ministries in Kenya. And uh, Pastor Ben, he said on Sunday in his message over there that um, God will give you what you need, not always what you want. And, and I, I find myself um, a lot of times being really good at getting what I want. But that's completely different than getting what we need. And... Um, I've, and God really spoke to me over there, you know, that if you're intentional about seeking me, intentional about, you know, getting in my word, um, intentional about, you know, um, leading your, your kids properly uh, to a loving relationship with Christ, um, he'll be intentional about giving us what we need. And, um, you know, w- you know we, we'll fly halfway around the world to be intentional about serving them, but I won't walk 20 steps downstairs to put my kids to bed. And... Um, and, you know, if, if the trip, if that was all the trip had to teach me, it was worth it um, to get come home, be intentional about, you know, being with my kids. Um, and, um, you know, and the last thing is, is this pride. You know, we built this chicken coop over in, in Africa, um, there in Kenya, in the little uh, village. And uh, um, it was so awesome just having the teamwork with our, our team of people, uh, with the three locals, uh, Daniel, Katui, and um, I can never think of the third guy's name. He was actually the hardest worker of the three of us. And I can't even think of his name, uh, of the three of them. And, um, um, but man, I'll tell you what, it was so nice just being over there serving, not having to worry about, you know, I got to do better than you so I can get a you know, bonus or, you know, get all the praise and accolades. Um, you know, we're just a team doing God's work. And that's so awesome, just be, having that teamwork um, going. So... In closing, you know, for me, the, the trip was just an amazing opportunity uh, to, st- to come home and be more intentional about um, the, the important things of life and, um, and, and being less intentional sometimes about the things of this world. So, thank you. Awesome, awesome, awesome. If you were as intentional about getting up and living for Jesus every day as you were about getting your kids ready for school, going to work, 
working for the next payday? How would that change your life? Because the truth of Scripture, what we saw radically in Kenya, and, and what I wish we could express better to you, is what Jesus has already said. The truth of Scripture, the truth of Jesus' message is this. If you would just put Jesus first in everything, he would make sure you never had nothing. And I know that's not even proper English, but, it, but it's correct spiritually. If you would just put Jesus first in everything, he would make sure you never had nothing because that's the way he operates and that's what he has promised us. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 33, Jesus spoke to people that he knew were worried about stuff. He knew were worried about life. He knew were worried about truth. He knew were worried about the way that they should take in life. And Jesus said, you don't have to worry about all that stuff. If you worry about me, I'll worry about that stuff on your behalf. And he said this in Matthew 6, 31 through 33. Don't worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear for the pagans? If this verse is written on your sermon notes, circle that word pagans. If it's not, write the word pagans. This is not a derogatory term. This is someone who doesn't have a God. Jesus is saying the only people who worry about everything are people who don't believe there's a God. The only people who every day get up worried about themselves are people who don't believe there's a God who loves them and wants to take care of them. That's what the word pagans means. For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be given to you as well. So we pulled into the furthest village up in the mountains that we went to, the smallest village that we went to. There were maybe 30 kids between birth and 16 or 17 that we were going to hang out with. And I think it was in the smallest ministry place we went to where I learned the biggest ministry lesson. Because as we pulled up down the dirt roads in the vehicles that we were in, we could see that some of the boys out behind the orphanage that they lived in were playing in, in the cow pasture and with chickens running around and cows and goats and sheep. They were out there playing soccer with each other um, and having a good time just out there playing soccer. And we pulled up and took a little tour of the church and a little tour of the orphanage. Um, and we got out back and they had all the kids lined up to meet us and say hello. And there was this one boy who was probably 13 or 14 years old. And he had the one soccer ball that they had in their orphanage and area that they lived at. And he was dribbling it. And he was like really good. Like the whole time we were standing at the meeting, he was just dribbling in bare feet, back and forth, never hit the ground off his knees, off his feet. And I asked him, I said, can I, can I see your ball? Um, and he kicked his ball to me. And this, this, is, this is what he's playing with. This was their soccer ball. And I looked at it just like this with this massive hole in it, this huge tear up the middle. It's almost split completely in half that they've tried to put back together several times. There's several different colors of twine in here with this massive hole that could never fill air or ever be put back together. And he kicked me his ball, and, and I looked at him, and I said, hang on just a minute. Um, I'm going to take your ball, but I'm going to be right back. 
And you could like see the fear in his eyes. Like when I said, I'm going to take your ball. And we found out later that like this was the first time any of these people had seen white people. And I, you know, I'm sure he's thinking, this white dude just stole my ball. Like, you know, I've never even seen one of these before. And then they show up and they steal our stuff. And he's looking at me and you could see the fear in his eyes when I said, give me a minute with this and I'll be right back. He's scared to death. He actually, he and his buddies tried to follow me where I was going and they had to stop him because our team knew what I was doing. Because our team, thanks to one of the men in our church, had taken 30 brand new soccer balls over there that we were giving out every place. And this kid didn't know, but I knew, I knew I was going to take his old ball and I was going to bring him back not one brand new ball, but three. And he tried to follow me around the corner. And the five to seven minutes between losing what he had and gaining what we had as a gift for them were probably grueling for this kid. I mean, they held them back and wouldn't let them look around the wall to see what I was doing. But when I walked back around that wall with my arms filled with soccer balls and began to throw them out to people, it was amazing what happened when he realized he could trust us not only not to take what he had, but he could trust us to give him something better. Jesus looks at our life, and it looks like this. Our life has a hole in it that can never be filled without Jesus. And, and we can play with our life, but this is what our life looks like, and this is what the life Jesus wants to give us looks like. This is what our plan looks like for our marriage. It's just a gradual separation of two people. Marriage is too hard without Jesus. And Jesus says, let me take your plan for your marriage. And I know this is going to scare you. From, just, just hang on. Let me trade you. Let me give you my plan for your marriage. You see, Jesus wants to take our plan for our finances and for our parenting and for our relationships, and for our anger, and for our anxiety, and for our worry, and for our long-term planning, and for our direction in life, and for the schedule of our week. And Jesus says, listen, I know you're currently playing your game with this, and you think this is all there is, because it's the only one you've got. But I promise you, if you will trade me, my plan for your life, my way for your life, my truth for your life, my life for your life, I promise you, if you look at your sermon notes, life with Jesus is always an upgrade. Jesus is never going to take your ball and give you something less than the very best that there is. And not only is life with Jesus always an upgrade, Jesus says, if you need more, then ask. Because I'm going to go ahead and trade you. I'm going to take your old ball and I'm going to give you a new one, but I'm not going to give you one, I'm going to give you three. And if you need more, just holler. Look what he says in John 14, verses 13 and 14. Jesus says, I'll do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You can ask me for anything in my name, and I'll do it. So some of you are here today, and you're holding on so tightly to your life, your plan, your ideas, the game that you have, because you don't trust Jesus in the time it takes him to walk behind the corner of your future and come back with something new. You just don't trust him enough yet to say, take mine. I trust you to give me something better. But Jesus' way 
and truth and life is better than what you're currently living right now. I promise you that. I asked that young guy if I could keep his soccer ball, and of course he said yes, because he liked his new one. I didn't want this for a sermon illustration. I wanted this as a reminder in my life that I can always trust Jesus with whatever he asks of me. Because he'll never take something from me that he doesn't upgrade on the back end. So I'm going to put this on my shelf in my office to always remember that anytime Jesus says, I want that, I can say, okay. And then I can just wait for the upgrade because that's how Jesus works. And some of you are in here today and I pray Jesus has shown you something about the way, the truth, and the life of who he is. Maybe an idol in your life or the trouble in your heart or an upgrade that you've been holding on to for fear that Jesus won't give back to you what you're giving to him in any area of your life. And I want to tell you, don't let your hearts be troubled. Probably the best way, Ashley, I think about this kid watching me walk around, walk away with his ball, his heart was troubled. His heart didn't need to be troubled, but his heart was troubled. And boy, we came back and said, you don't have to worry. Every time Jesus will come back and give you an upgrade, if you will give your life, your time, your talents, your treasure, your beliefs, your schedule to him, every time, he'll give you back an upgrade. And if that's not enough, you can ask for more. He'll do that too. Let's pray together.